If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians, uh, Galatians 5. Uh, we're continuing to make our way through the book of Galatians. As you turn there, we just want to echo some things Phil said. and really encourage you to come out to our newcomer lunch right after this service. For those of you who are uh, new to the church, uh, maybe visiting for the first time or uh, been here for a while and just not made it out to a newcomer lunch yet, we'd love to, love to have you come and be a part of that in the, uh, again, banquet room B. There, there's, there's like a little sign, a little, uh, it says newcomer lunch on there and just points into that room. So it's, it's just that, I think it's the second room in there. Um, yeah, let's see, what else do we need to do here this morning? You know, let's, let's do this. Let's, before we, before we get into Galatians 5 this morning, let's, let's kind of remind ourselves of the, the big picture of the book of Galatians and then kind of narrow our way down to, to where we are this morning. And it might help if you want to jot some of these things down, if, if you've kind of forgotten where we are in the book of Galatians. Sometimes we're, we're in a paragraph each week, and so it's hard to remember where we are in the, the big story of Galatians. But remember, the big theme we've said of the book of Galatians is finding freedom in the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Galatians is about finding our, our freedom in Jesus Christ, finding our, finding our freedom, that the true gospel message of Jesus Christ, that's, that's the big theme, right? And we, we've seen that the book of Galatians can be kind of generally divided into three sections. So there's the, the first section that talks about the source, the source of the true gospel, that's chapters 1 and 2. So where did this gospel message that Paul is preaching come from? The source is God. The source of the true gospel message is that first section. And then we come into chapters 3 and 4, and we encounter the second section, roughly, dealing with the the content of the true gospel. What is this this good news, the message of the gospel, is that I, I can't be saved on the basis of my own works, it's only on the, based on the work of Jesus Christ, and so I, I, I trust in him alone for eternal life. That's the, the content of the true gospel. And then the last section of Galatians, the, the section that we're in now that began roughly in chapter 5, verse 1, is the freedom, the freedom of the true gospel. Remember, chapter 5 begins, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So this last section is about freedom. But remember, we asked, okay, what, what is freedom? What does that word freedom even mean? Does, does freedom mean that I'm completely autonomous, that I have no sorts of restraints on me whatsoever, that now I can just kind of live however I want to, to live? Does it mean there's, there's no law involved in my life whatsoever, like no spiritual law, no, no physical law? I'm, I'm free in Christ. I can like fly around the room. I mean, the laws of gravity don't apply to me. I mean, that would be pretty cool. But, but no, uh, that's not what freedom means. We saw that the freedom, the true gospel, freedom means I now no longer am enslaved to sin. Oftentimes when we talk about sin, we talk about it in, in terms of the imagery of, of slavery, shackles, weight, burden. I, I'm free from that. I, I no longer am enslaved to sin. I'm no longer a slave to the, the flesh. I'm no longer constrained by those things. I'm, I'm free I'm free to do what? I'm free to pursue my joy in Christ. 
I now have the freedom to pursue only that which will bring me true joy, that is Jesus Christ. I have the, as we talked about weeks ago, we, I have the, the desire to do that now. I have the, the opportunity to do that. I have the ability to do that. Now I can pursue my joy in Jesus Christ. That's what freedom means. And this is what the whole last section of, of Galatians is about. Okay, now that I have this freedom, how do I, how do I walk in it? And we've, we've come to this, this subsection, the last part of chapter 5. And we have seen that one of the ways that we are to pursue our joy, one of the ways that we're to exercise our freedom, is by walking in the Spirit. Paul gives that instruction. He says, walk in the Spirit. And so we asked, well, okay, how do I do that? What does that mean? Remember we saw that walking in the Spirit isn't something that I I, I do passively. It's not something, though, at the same time that I can, I can do on my own. I gave you that very unhelpful uh, acronym, CARTA. Remember that? Very unhelpful, but uh, C-A-R-T-A. It's not a, a formula, but kind of some things that we do to obey that, I, that walk in the Spirit. We, we cling to the gospel. Remember that? We, we cling to the gospel, believing that we don't have the ability in and of ourselves to, to, to walk in the Spirit. Only God can help us. We, A, we ask God uh, to, to give us the Spirit. We ask God to enable us to walk by the Spirit. We plead with Him. We are, we read our Bible, we read Scripture and meditate upon God's truth, and, and then we, t- we trust the things that God has said are true, and we trust Him to provide for us, and then we, A, we act, we, we do the things, we, we walk in the Spirit. Okay, so that's, again, that's the last half of chapter 5, that's where we are. And then the question is, okay, I need to walk in the Spirit. I have freedom. I can pursue my joy. I pursue joy by walking in the Spirit, by, by being obedient to God, by experiencing the fullness of life in the Spirit. Okay, now how do I know if I'm doing that or not? How do I know if, if I'm, I'm truly walking in the Spirit? Well, last week we saw that the deeds of the flesh, the works of the flesh, those indicate that I'm not in the Spirit. And so I see Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, uh, jealousy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. When I see those things, what does that tell me? I'm in the flesh. Now this morning, we're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit. These are the things that I need to see in my life if I am truly walking the Spirit. That's, That's where we are this morning as we begin to look at the book of Galatians again. Hopefully that's helpful to kind of help us remember where we are in this whole, this whole story of Galatians. And so if you would, uh, stand with me as we read uh, Galatians 5. And I'm just going to, I'm going to go ahead and give us that last section. I'm going to start a few verses earlier than verse 22. I'm going to start in verse 16. Paul writes this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, 
as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And now we come this morning to the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk, or let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You may be seated. May God bless us and strengthen us through his word this morning. And Heavenly Father, we do ask for your special grace upon us as we look at your word. We do beseech you, we, we plead with you that you would be merciful to us as we know that you've promised you will be as we ask in faith. We pray that the fruit of your spirit would be manifest in our lives in how we think and what we do, how we treat one another, how we relate to you. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to begin by telling you the story of a man named Eugene Bolton. Uh, Eugene Bolton was a Californian historian in the early 1900s of the first part of the 20th century. And uh, Eugene Bolton was, was obsessed, as a Californian historian, he was obsessed with finding something called the Drake Plate. Now, the Drake Plate was this, this thing that Sir Francis Drake was supposed to have left in California. Remember, Francis Drake was this English explorer, and in 1579 or something like that, he, he arrived in California, and according to one of the people who accompanied him on that, that trip, that voyage, they left this, this plate, this bronze plate in California commemorating their trip. And so Eugene Bolton, this historian, hundreds of years later, reads that account, and he gets excited. He, he talks to his students at Berkeley about it. He's just excited about the possibility of, of finding the Drake plate that became kind of a, an obsession with him. Now, Eugene was also part of a, of a society. Uh, the society was called the Ancient and Honorable Eclampus Vitus, and it was kind of a, a quirky group. They, they described themselves as a group that couldn't decide if they were historians who liked to drink or drinkers who liked history. Um, they were kind of this, this quirky group, and uh, Eugene annoyed the group a lot because he was constantly talking about the Drake Plate. Maybe we'll find the Drake Plate, the Drake Plate this, the Drake Plate that. And they just got really annoyed with Eugene. Well, you, you can imagine uh, Eugene's excitement when in 1936, uh, someone in, in California, as they were doing some earth, earthwork, discovered the Drake Plate. It was, it was brought up, it was authenticated, it was put in the Smithsonian, one of the Smithsonian museums, and Eugene uh, was just overjoyed. Years passed, Eugene died happy, and then uh, 40 more years or so passed, and the Drake Plate was discovered to be a forgery. On the back of the plate, when placed under black lighting, it was, it was found that the uh, e. Clampus Vitus Historical Society had placed their logo on this plate, and the whole thing was a hoax. In fact, they, they had thought that, you, that it would be discovered right away as a hoax, and in fact, they even tried to, to tell other people, hey, this, you know, maybe you should look at this, and maybe you should go, and no one ever did, and finally the guy said, wait, we can't say anything, and they all went to their graves saying nothing about anything, right? 
Now, if people had known where to look and what to look for, the forgery would have been discovered right away. When it comes to our spiritual lives, some of us are counterfeiters. Some of us are potentially frauds. You see, the, the fruit of the Spirit is, is something that it's, it's, it's possible to, to create some crude counterfeits of. Now, if we know what to look for, if we know how to rightly understand the fruit of the Spirit, we'll be able to, to discern, okay, is, the, is what I'm seeing in my life true fruit or is this counterfeit fruit? In other words, I can look at my life and I can say, you know what? I see love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. I see those things, and yet in reality I'm deceiving myself, and what I'm actually seeing are, are, is counterfeit joy and counterfeit peace, counterfeit uh, love for others. So what I want to do this morning is I want to look at these qualities of the fruit of the Spirit, and I want us to, to realize, okay, these things that God describes here are not things that I can create for myself. These are, are not things that I can manufacture. These characteristics are foreign to me. And for these things to exist in my life, for these things to exist in my life, I need God's grace. And my goal in our time together would be that we together would seek God's grace and ask, beseech him in his mercy that he would provide the fruit of the Spirit in our lives as we see these attributes that can't be manufactured by ourselves. Here's kind of, and as we do see these things, we rejoice. In fact, here's kind of the main idea that I want us to think about together this morning. As we look at our lives, and as I see in my life thoughts, attitudes, and actions that aren't from me, but that could only come from a changed heart, what should I do? I should praise God and then continue to pursue obedience to him in faith through his enabling grace. In other words, I don't want to fool myself. I don't want to trick myself into saying, you know what, I think I'm doing pretty well in this fruit of the Spirit thing. I think I've kind of figured out how to, how to manufacture this. I want to say, no, 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 I, I, can only, I can only walk in this way. I can only walk in the Spirit by God's enabling grace. And then by God's grace, I, I hope that I'm able to look at my life and, and see examples of love and examples of peace and patience, things that I could not manufacture myself. And as I see those things, I don't become complacent and say, well, now I've got it figured out. What I do is I, I rejoice, I praise God, and then continue to pursue obedience, not by works, but I continue to pursue obedience in faith by God's enabling grace. So let's do this. Let's, let's kind of look at a couple truths here about the fruit of the Spirit. Here's the first one. Let's first talk about the provider of the fruit of the Spirit. We'll do this quickly here. Not too long. But just notice this. Notice how Paul begins. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is. Now, now why is that word but there? What is he contrasting? Well, remember earlier he's talked about the works of the flesh. Here are the works of the flesh. Here are all the things that are part of the flesh. Now, let's talk about the fruit of the Spirit. So notice that. It's, it's, it's a contrast. Remember, you can't walk in the Spirit and the flesh. The flesh is against the Spirit. The Spirit is against the flesh. We've talked about the works of the flesh. Now, let's talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Here's another thing I want you to notice. Notice that fruit is singular, right? Works of the flesh was plural. In other words... Uh, I, I look at my life and I see, 
I see idolatry, but I, I don't see jealousy. I can say, you know what, yeah, I'm an idolater, but I'm not jealous, and I am not, uh, I'm not um, envious. I'm going to count that as two. Um, I'm, I'm one out of three, therefore the, the, the flesh, the works of the flesh aren't in me. I, I can't say that. I see one work of the flesh. I, rec- I recognize, okay, I'm, I'm walking in the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit is, is singular, in other words, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, these are not separate fruits. These are all characteristics of one fruit. And I can't say, well, there's nine of them, and I got five out of nine. I guess I have the fruit of the Spirit. That, that's not how this works. It's not like this list isn't saying apples, pineapples, bananas, grapes, cantaloupe. It's not a list of different types of fruit. It's like saying, okay, here's, here's an apple, and an apple, this fruit, an apple is round and Red and tasty and crisp and delicious. Now, if you're holding something and it's not round and red and crisp and delicious, what you're holding is is not an apple. At least it's not a good apple, okay? Don't eat it, right? So, here, the fruit of the Spirit. It's not a bunch of these things that he's describing aren't a bunch of different types of fruit. It's it's one fruit. It comes from the Spirit. And he's describing what that, that fruit in our life looks like. And then, of course, notice, most importantly, who does the fruit come from? He says the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit comes from the Spirit. It comes from God himself. And why is it important for us to know that? It's important for us to think about because we must remind ourselves and other people that we can't create this on our own. I'm talking to my neighbor, my my coworker. I'm talking to my my friend at school. And as we talk about some aspect in their life, you know, we realize, okay, they're not responding rightly. Maybe we're we're talking to a a friend of ours at school and we, we talk about the relationship with their parents. And as you, you're, you're a young person, you hear them talking about the relationship with their parents, and you know it's characterized by not love, not obedience, not all the things that the Spirit should be producing. And so you're like, boy, I, I think you're, respond, you're responding to rebelliousness to your parents. I don't think that's good. You really need to work on obeying them. We're talking to a person at work, and they're, they are, um, they're just talking very, um, very unkindly about their spouse, not in not a very gracious way, and say, you know what, you need to be more gracious with your spouse. You, you need to be nicer. You need to be a nicer person. We're talking to our, our children who aren't saved, and we're talking to them, and we say, you know what, um, you're really angry with your siblings. You need, to be, you need to be a nicer person. You need to be less angry. You need to be more forgiving. And, and what's, what's the problem with that? Now, it's true that we don't as we do nice things, even if we're not Christians, as we do nice things, we experience God's common grace, and life goes better when you're nicer than when you're mean, right? That's, that's not a very controversial statement. But if I am looking at a person, and I'm saying, look, I want to see the fruit of the Spirit in your life, and I'm, I'm not talking about God's work in their life, I'm talking about just them doing nice things, I've forgotten where the fruit of the Spirit comes from. As we're counseling others, as we're seeking to, to help others, ultimately, we're not pointing people toward morality. We're not saying be more joyful, be more peaceful, work on these things. We're pointing them to a person. 
let me tell you about the only one who can provide you with love, joy, peace, and so forth. The provider of the fruit of the Spirit is the Spirit. Well, now let's, let's talk a little bit about the, the presence of the, spirit, of the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, what, what, is, what does the fruit of the Spirit look like? Remember, we're not talking about apples, oranges, pineapples, grapes, etc. We're saying, okay, here's what an apple looks like. It's red, it's round, it's crisp, it's tasty. If you're holding a fruit that doesn't have those characteristics, not an apple or not a good one. How do I know if I'm really seeing that the presence of the Spirit in my life, what, what does this fruit mean? And my, my suggestion to you is that so often we're able to look at things in our life and say, you know what, that's the fruit of the Spirit, when in reality it's counterfeit characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. So let's, let's kind of go through some of these words together, and let's talk about, a little about what the words mean, and kind of a, a counterfeit example of that characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit, and then than what the real article looks like. Let's, let's talk through a couple of these, these words. The first word he has here is, 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 and again, just like with the deeds of the flesh, this is not extensive. You can't say, okay, well, I, I have this, but not this. Uh, all, this. These are just some of the examples of what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. First word is love, right? The first word is love. When we think of the word love, we often have this idea of, of romantic love, but the, the word that Paul uses here was not a word that the Greeks used to describe romantic love very often. In fact, this, this word meant esteem, it meant affection, it meant regard for the well-being of another person. And, and in the New Testament, we see this, this word love infused with, with deep theological meaning. You and I are able to understand love, the New Testament tells us, because God loves we love because he first loved us, 1 John 4.19 tells us. We see his love clearly revealed to us in his special revelation in Ephesians chapter 2, despite us being dead in our trespasses and sin. In verse 4 it says, but God, this is Ephesians 2, verse 4, but God being rich in mercy, why? Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved. And he, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And then we see in the New Testament that God's love becomes what? God's love becomes the foundation for us understanding love, and then acting in love toward other people. He defines love for us. 1 John chapter 4, we've, we've come to know him and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Now, is it any surprise then that Paul begins this list of, of virtue, this list of characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit with love. love. Love is foundational in our relationships with one another. This sacrificial commitment to give of myself for your benefit is the, the basis of all our relationships with one another. Now, that's what this word love is. What does counterfeit love look like? If, if genuine love is sacrificially given to myself for your eternal benefit, what, despite your condition, what is counterfeit love? What is a, a false 
a false characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit look like here? False love. Well, you can give lots of examples of this, but, but for example, I, I, I'm a sacrificial person for those who are nice to me. I'm incredibly, amazingly generous. The, the, the amounts of the length that I will go to, to to lay down my life for others is phenomenal, but it's for those who are in my, my close circle of, of people who have done nice things for me. Or I do it in context where others are going to notice what I have done for other people. Now, Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 5, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor as, and hate your enemy. But I say, Jesus says, the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So how, can I, how can I love like that? How can I be perfect? Well, you can't. You can only love as your Father loves if the Father gives you the Spirit. And the Spirit produces the genuine characteristic of love. So counterfeit love says, okay, I'm I'm going to sacrifice of myself, but it's going to be for limited people. It's going to be in these contexts. That's not what genuine love does. That's not the type of love that I desire if I'm a believer the type of love that, that, that we desire is the, the love that God calls us to have toward enemies, towards those that, that are our friends, towards those who are believers, towards those who are unbelievers. John would say this in 1 John chapter 3, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, that's what John says, and we talked about this when we went through 1 John. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The next word that Paul uses here is the word joy, right? The word we translate joy. He says love, and then he says joy. What does that word joy mean? It means a, a state of, of gladness. It's, it's, not a, it's not a pure emotion. The word here means a, a settled state of mind that arises from a sense of God's love for us. As we go through the New Testament again, we, we see this constant command to experience joy, to, to have a settled, a settled state of mind, a, a sense of gladness as we think about what God has accomplished. Philippians, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Later, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. And when we're called to rejoice despite what external conditions we find ourselves in, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul's afflicted, but, but he's excited by the, the, the repentance of the Corinthians. And he says, in all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. So here's all this affliction, bad things taking place. And yet, as I contemplate God's work in you, what's, what's, my, what's my, my response? It's, it's joy. It's, 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 it's excitement. You say, well, Daniel, what does is, what is, what is a counterfeit characteristic of joy look like? Well, here's, here's how we can fool ourselves sometimes. You see, we experience joy 
imagine a set of scales. Okay, in this scale, here's, here's the bad things that are going on in our life, and, and here are the good things that are going on in our life. And, and um, whenever the good things outweigh the bad things, we, we have this, this settled state of mind. We're experiencing joy. So here's good, here's bad, more good stuff than bad. And so, hey, I'm, 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 I'm reasonably happy about what's going on. I'm aware there's some bad stuff, but good stuff is, is more than the bad. So joy, I, I tell myself. For example, I was, uh, I was, um, I don't remember how old I was. There was some age I was whenever we found out that we were expecting our, our first child, right? And I can remember that that day we went to the, uh, to the doctor and we, well, I guess this wasn't the first day we found out, but this is the first day we saw the sonogram. We went to the doctor for the first time. We saw the sonogram and I, I remember this, the sonogram was printed out, and I had it in my hand. And the amount of joy I contemplated as I thought about being a dad was just, was just phenomenal. I can remember all sorts of things going not that great that day, but not being upset by them. You know, I, I had to go uh, on this, this golf outing that just went terrible, and I did not enjoy it. But you know what? Hey, I'm having a, we're having a baby. Who cares about this? In other words, What's going on? The good stuff outweighs that. And so sometimes what can happen is this. We can say, you know what? Um, yeah, finances are tough, and uh, this isn't going well. My job isn't going well, but I still have joy. And what I really mean is the things that I really want to go well are still going well, so the good things outweigh the bad, and so I have joy. My, my kids are still healthy. My spouse still loves me. The, these things, but if you took away those things, our, our joy would be exposed as counterfeit. What is true joy? True joy is whenever God, by his divine grace, allows us to understand the unsurpassing value of his son and the unsurpassing joy of being brought into relationship with him. And so no matter what is put on this side of the scale, there is no way that this this side of the scale could outweigh this side. There's, There's no way, there's no a conflict with another person. There's no sickness. There's no sorrow that could be put over here that could rob me of the joy of contemplating my relationship with God through the grace of the provision of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the difference between a counterfeit joy and a real joy. And so often what happens is I've fooled myself into believing that I'm experiencing joy when in reality, just things aren't going as bad as they possibly could, so I'm still going to be happy. Or I'm going to, to fool myself that I'm not too upset about things. We might say sometimes, well, I'm, I'm joyful, I'm just not happy. And that can sometimes describe a true spiritual response, but sometimes it can just mask the fact, look, I'm so up, upset about the circumstances, I don't have joy at all, I'm just not saying that, right? It's joy, The next word that that Paul uses here is the word peace. We translate peace. This word means harmony within interpersonal relationships. It it means that that God divinely grants us the ability to to be at peace with one another. Ephesians chapter 2 again describes this work that only God can do. In verse 14 it says, For he himself is our peace who's made us both one, he's talking about the Jew and the Gentile, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might what? Might reconcile us to God. Might reconcile us both to God and in one body through the cross, thereby 
killing, the hostility. In other words, what happens? We're at war with God. There's no harmony in that relationship. And we're at war with one another. There's not biblical harmony in those relationships. And what has to happen? God has to to divinely intervene. God needs to intervene so that we can be at peace with him. And then God needs to divinely intervene so that we can be at peace with others. Now you say, well, how do we, how do we counterfeit that? Surely it's, it's obvious if we're in conflict with other believers or with other people. Here's how we counterfeit it. We counterfeit peace by saying, you know what? And maybe we don't say this consciously. We say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm antagonistic. I have this bad relationship with this person, but you know what? I'm just not going to talk to them. I'm just going to avoid these people. I'm going to, to paper over our differences. I'm going to deny that conflict exists instead of, instead of pursuing true reconciliation. Or we experience counterfeit peace as we lie about the existence of conflict and say, you know what, it's just a, it's just a personality difference. Or we experience counterfeit peace when we say, you know what, um, I'm not all that troubled by the fact that I'm at, I'm at war with another person, believer or unbeliever, declared war or cold war. In other words, for the person who's, who is experiencing a counterfeit peace, the presence of conflict doesn't trouble their soul. I was talking with a, a friend recently who has, uh, it was, it was past, uh, Pastor Jason Alligood from Fellowship uh, Bible Church in Peoria, and uh, we're, we're, I, was, I was texting back and forth with him, and, and he is, uh, and I, noticed, I noticed he had gotten off Twitter recently. He said, you know what, I'm, I'm just not going to be on Twitter anymore. I said, well, why, why did you make that decision? He said, well, um, just the, the tone and, and seeing brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ tearing each other down, he says, it just got too much for my heart to take. I'll tell you, it's easy if you have enough time to fake peace, right? But when you, when you pull out your phone and, and someone has, has texted you something that just kind of bugs you, and, and what's that first response in your text? Or maybe you, maybe you text someone else about someone else who texted, can you believe, you know, screenshot, forward, can you believe what this person said about me? Or what do you say on Twitter, or what do you say on Facebook, or what do you say on, on Instagram? The, the, the things that flow out of our hearts, sometimes using the, the digital technology, the things that flow reveals what's truly there. And, and I would encourage you, if you're an evangelical who is on social media, who's, who's on Twitter, who's on this, hey, don't emulate our, our leaders in the evangelical world sometimes in, in this space, right? This is not the characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit. This is not peace. And true biblical peace yearns for the Spirit to do his work in our lives so that we can, can be right with others. It yearns for those with whom we are at, at war and conflict. It yearns for peace, and it's willing to, to pursue peace in order for God to be glorified so that we can reflect to the world the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. That is a genuine fruit of the Spirit. The next word he uses here is the word patience. Patience. This means that the state of being able to, to bear up un, under provocation. In other words, here I am in a situation, right? And I'm, I'm in this situation, and I'm not actively doing anything wrong, okay? 
you look at me, and from the outside you say, well, yeah, this, this, this person is, is walking in obedience. And then, and then pressure comes. There, there's some sort of external circumstances that begin to, to squeeze me. And what is patience? Patience is the ability to continue to walk in obedience to God even whenever the circumstances in our life begin to, to press in against us. Now, what is counterfeit peace? Counterfeit peace is bearing up under adverse circumstances for a limited amount of time, right? How oftentimes have, 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 someone, have you been talking with someone and someone says, yeah, yeah, I know what I'm supposed to do in this relationship. I know that I'm supposed to continue to seek this person's good, but I did that for six months. I did that for six years. I have been doing that for a decade, and now, now the clock has expired. Now I am no longer under an obligation to continue to respond in a godly manner. Now they've pushed me too far. What is that? Patience that has a, a stopwatch, patience that has a, a timer that expires, that's counterfeit patience. What is the patience that the Spirit produces? The, the, the patience that the Spirit produces doesn't have a timer on it. You know, I was uh, this last week, uh, this, this last week we were um, out in the, the, the yard doing some yard work, and if, if you remember Thursday, uh, it's, the, it's the hottest day on record ever um, in the history of humanity. Any place here, Thursday, Central Illinois. It, check it out. It's true. Um, one of the, is truth one of the fruits of the Spirit? Anyway, it was hot. Okay, it was so hot. And even as I tell the story, listen to all the excuses that I'm giving, because you know where this is headed, right? And we're out there, we're doing yard work, and um, we're, it's hot. And uh, the yard work is, is very difficult, and we were, we were planting like over 30 different plants and little tiny trees, and we're having to take out some of the old plants, and there was a moment, we'd been out there for hours, and uh, there was a moment, my, my hands were sore, again, excuses, and all these, all these external circumstances are, are pressing in against me as I'm, as I'm trying to get this, this plant out, it has not been going well, and uh, one of my sons suggested to me, in a joking manner, hey, Maybe instead of doing this, we could go do something fun where it's air-conditioned. Let me stress this again. I'm working, and he's watching me making these suggestions. And I suggested that he could please be quiet. Except I didn't say that, those words or that tone, right? I snapped, right? And I realized instantly, everybody realized instantly, dad had blown it, right? And so, so I, you know, I said, hey, let's, let's take five. And, you know, I, I just ha- you, you can't begin the apology with, well, you know, it's hot. You know, you're, you're being stupid. Um, <laughs> what is it? Hey, I, that was the flesh. Patience doesn't have, patience doesn't have a stopwatch. It's not, it's not a timer. I can't say beep, 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 beep. Okay, now it's hot. I can, I can yell at you. Right. I say, hey, you know what? I, I did not respond to you the way I should. Please forgive me. 
I need his forgiveness. I need God's forgiveness. I need to walk in the spirit. That's not, that, that's, a, that's a sign to me. Hey, Daniel, hey, pay attention. You're in the flesh. Walk in the spirit, not the flesh. Genuine patience continues to respond rightly toward God and to others. The next characteristic here is, is kindness, right? Kindness. The word means uh, the quality of being helpful or beneficial. It's, it's the kindness of God that brings about salvation in Romans chapter 2. Don't presume upon the riches of God's kindness. Not, don't you know this? God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Titus chapter 3. Notice that kindness is tied to the next characteristic we're going to mention of the fruit of the Spirit as well, goodness. Titus chapter 3 verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Now, I might get a little bit of, of pushback here, but what we see here, the kindness of God is a kindness that is extravagant, and it is, it's, it's bestowing our favor, our resources, upon those who are not deserving for their benefit. Now, counterfeit kindness counterfeit kindness is saying I will be very gracious with you when you deserve it. Counterfeit kindness I would suggest to you is kindness that says yeah I'll I'll, I'll do what you need when you've shown to me that you'll respond the way that you need to. Kindness of the fruit of the spirit says look I don't care about the past. I don't care if you're going to wrong me in the future in in the sense that it affecting how I'm going to respond to you right now. If I have the ability to assist you in a way that's, that's truly beneficial, I'm not talking about a person saying, this is what I want you to do, but, but me saying, this is, this is a, a thing that will bestow good things upon you, I'm not going to withhold it for selfish reasons. That's kindness. That's genuine kindness. You say, well, what if I'm wronged? Jesus, again, the Sermon on the Mount. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You say, well, well Daniel, I, I, can't, I can't do that. And I say, exactly, now you're beginning to understand the fruit of the Spirit, right? Next word, goodness. Related to kindness, it's, it's characterized by an interest in the wellness of others. It's, it's, it's generosity in our kindness. Counterfeit goodness is, is limited. It's a selfish hoarding of resources. Genuine goodness is extravagant. We, we should be a church that's, that's overwhelmed by extravagant goodness. Next word is, is faithfulness. Faithfulness, that, that word means that others can place their, their confidence in you. You're, you're, it describes someone who's reliable, who week in and week out is, is going to do that which is right. Now, what is what is the counterfeit faithfulness, counterfeit characteristic of faithfulness. A counterfeit faithfulness is, is zealousness, right? It's, it's the zealous, not, not all zealousness, but, but some zealousness can be like a counterfeit faithfulness. So there's excitement, there's enthusiasm. I'm going I'm to do the right thing, and, and we, look, we look super faithful, and then when the eyes are turned away, whenever our enthusiasm wanes, we fall off. Paul says in 2 Timothy, Demas, his, his, his friend Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. And you look at other 
letters from Paul earlier in the ministry, and it's Demas this and Demas that. He's awesome. He's this great guy, and then he's gone. Demas loved the present world. That's not faithfulness. Genuine, genuine faithfulness is, is week in, week out, year after year, decade after decade of following the Lord through his enabling grace. It's, it's Bill and Juanita Kurtz from, from Bethany Baptist Church. Many of you knew them who, like 50, 60 years of, of teaching the same uh, Sunday school class and serving as, as uh, janitors faithfully decade after decade. That's, that's faithfulness. Uh, yesterday morning, some of the, uh, the elders got together to just pray for one another, and we were asking one another, a lot, a lot of the prayer requests, of course, are about family, and, you know, just pray for us as we, we, we shepherd our kids, and, you know, pray for their, their continued faithfulness in the Lord. But, you know, as we prayed for each other, it, it, it wasn't about just praying about faithfulness for our children, because, you know, you don't know how your children are going to do next year, the next 20 years, but you know what? We've got to be honest. You and I don't know how we are going to do over the next week, over the next month. And if we're saying, okay, I, I, can, I can produce faithfulness, I can produce faith, I can do this thing, I can do the... No, you're, you're deceived. You're delusional. Your confidence in walking in the Spirit the rest of your life is not based upon you just making really good decisions. All of us need to be engaged in in fervent prayer for our our own souls and the souls of one another. Father, keep me faithful because left to myself, I will fall. I will fail. The fruit of the Spirit, it's the Spirit, not ourselves, it's the Spirit who keeps us faithful. Next word is gentleness. That word carries with it the idea of humility. It, it's the idea of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's own self-importance. It's, it's gentle humility. It's, it's courtesy. It's considerateness. It's, it's meekness. Uh, this characteristic, it, the counterfeit, is that it's often just ignored, right? I mentioned several years ago lamenting the rise of kind of a macho Christianity where there are a lot of leaders and churches who are just practicing this very overbearing um, domineering leadership and um, just just the, the sorrow in that. Many of those ministries over the last few years have just, just fallen off the wayside because it's, it's, not, it's not the Spirit producing it. The Spirit doesn't sustain that type of ministry. The genuine fruit of the Spirit here, the genuine characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit is this strong commitment to the truth while, while loving others. You know, Paul tells even, uh, even to be gentle with those who are disobedient to the truth. Next chapter, next week, we're going to talk about gentleness, correcting those, uh, uh, um, restore the one who's, who has, has fallen in a spirit of gentleness. And the last, last characteristic, self-control, it means here that the restraint of one's emotions or impulses or desires. Uh, the counterfeit self-control says, okay, I can, I can hold off, I can I cannot act on my impulses, desires for a limited amount of time. There's a limited control, the genuine fruit of the Spirit is restraint in all areas of life, in our physical desires, immorality, greed, gluttony, emotions. It's controlled speech. You say, I can't do that. It's not my personality. I say, you're right, you can't. It's only the Spirit. And then Paul ends with this. There's no law against these things. In other words, nothing in law prevents you from doing these things. And maybe even the idea is no law could produce these things. It's only the Spirit's fruit. 
Now here's the last thing. This fruit that's beyond our ability to manufacture. The last thing, the, the pursuit of the fruit of the Spirit. How do I pursue this? Now we're going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to wrap up here kind of quickly, and we'll talk, I'm going to unpack this more next week, but as, as we begin to go into chapter 6, because these, these kind of go into, with chapter 6 as well, but let me just say this, how, to leave you something, okay, how do I pursue this? You pursue the fruit of the Spirit by not pursuing the fruit, but pursuing the Spirit, right? Does that make sense? In other words, as you look through this list and you say, man, I need to be loving, I need to be more joyful, I need to be more peaceful, I need to be more patient. We say, okay, I'm not going to work on, on those things. What I'm going to do first is I'm going to come to the Spirit. I'm going to, I'm going to cling to the gospel. I'm going to ask God for his grace as, as I don't see the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I'm going to, to read his word and meditate on his truths. I'm going to, um, to trust that he will help me be obedient to him and that his word is true and that I'm going to act. We crucify the flesh. We reject our old nature. We're, we're decisive in our break with it. We say those things have no part in my life anymore. The members of uh, Eugene's historical society, they produced a forgery that lasted for 40 years. Brothers and sisters, here, here's what I want to caution you with. You and I have the ability, if we don't know exactly the right way to look at our lives, we have the ability to produce forgeries that will deceive not only the world, but deceive ourselves as well, not just for 10 years or 20 years or 40 years, but we have the ability to produce forgeries that will last a lifetime. May God in his grace reveal false characteristics in our life. May he cause us to look rightly at, at, at himself and the, the true fruit of the Spirit. And may we see in our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions, fruit that could only come from a changed heart. And may we praise God as we continue to pursue obedience to him in faith. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your enabling grace. We thank you that you give us by your spirit, the ability to walk in obedience to you. Father, as, as we encounter false characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, make us aware of those, and, and, and not so that we become discouraged, but so that it gives us excitement as we turn to you, grateful to you that you produce a, a fruit that is, that is beyond our ability to imagine or comprehend. Help us to delight in that, to, to see our joy in that, to yearn for that. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.